Now the American left is actively cheering as its fascist militia, Antifa, rages in the streets. Antifa is a domestic terrorist organization that hijacks peaceful rallies, organizes armed riots, attacks peaceful protesters, burns buildings, loots stores, and spreads hate. Andy No was brutally attacked in Portland. No arrests were made. Portland has to do something to deter political violence or the city will get more of it. Antifa's fascist totalitarian activities are now oozing into other Democrat-run cities. These are 20- and 30-year-old thugs assaulting 50, 60, 70, and even 80-year-old Americans. This lieutenant said these people are going to get killed if we don't stay. Free speech and the right to keep and bear arms are both being threatened by violent anarchists. We can't let Antifa continue terrorizing our country. Can you please tell us about the appropriate use of civil and criminal RICO statutes to address violent criminal groups like Antifa? Police casualties far exceed anything uh, on the civilian side. Going back to 1917, the Bolshevik Revolution, the Mao Revolution, even David Horowitz, I introduced one time as a former socialist, he said, no, I was a full-blown communist. He saw they were interested in trying to provoke the police to kill somebody so that they could really create mayhem. You're familiar with that tactic by Marxists, are you not? Yes. Welcome, listeners, to the Epoch of Incredulity. I am Jesse, and I am here with my co-hosts, Joe and Scott, and we will be discussing fascism, anti-fascism, the historical context for fascism, and the ways that it has been rearing its ugly head in politics as of late. That's how you're turning it over to me? You're just going to point at me? Um, I like it. It's good. It's good. Okay. So I, <laughs> I have a page uh, I'm going to read here. I wrote this a little while ago uh, based on writings of uh, Paxton and Echo and Gromsky with a little bit of uh, Matt Crispin thrown in there. Uh, and granted, this is more of an interpretation based on the final stages of fascism as it gives us a model that is more easily suited to cope with the current strains that have emerged uh, post-globalization, post-2008 financial crisis, and post-Trump, when as a response to an internal conflict or pressure, be they economic or political or class or racially based, a colonial power turns the established colonial mechanisms of domination and control towards the center and towards its own citizens. Uh, In a post-Occupy, post-Trump, post-George Floyd political reality, this is the best definition to understand fascism in a modern context. In more simple historic terms, as put by Robert Paxton, fascism is dictatorship or suppression against the left amidst popular enthusiasm. This includes seizing of industry, control of a civilian populace through disenfranchisement, curtailing of rights, violence, annihilation, uh, readiness for violent action, anti-intellectualism, rejection of compromise, and contempt for established society and modernity. Uh, it was forged in the traumas and depra- depravities of World War I, the feelings of devastation, uh, demoralization, humiliation, and loss on a national scale, mixed with the perversions of the emerging sciences, such as Darwinism, and now fully debunked racial sciences, uh, the existential philosophy of Nietzsche, the psychoanalysis of like Freud and Jung blended into the myth of inherent greatness, unrecognized or lost to progress or uh, modernism and modernity, coupled with a desire to return to a time in which that perceived greatness was treated 
as paramount for the community over individuality, this is important, as a way to address the shortcomings and quell anxiety sprung forth by the failures of liberal institutions unable to protect democracy under the weights and demands of capitalism. While it does critique capitalism from a very far right position, above all, it is still a capitalistic, like capitalism's overriding response to the traumas of its own failure. It's basically a continuation of the thing we were talking about with Elon Musk of the material used to solve the problem is the material that causes the problem. In that, it is truly and utterly a postmodern and opportunistic approach to leadership to government. It's deliberately rife with, uh, with contradictions and inconsistencies. It is almost solely driven by the pursuit of power and control. And it's built on this base of fear, it's built on anxiety, and it's built on hatreds that are birthed both from the death drive turned into a political ideology and a grand design to quell the ruling class's anxieties towards universal suffrage and the inevitable dictatorship of the proletariat. As these are inevitabilities, as Engels kind of detailed at the end of the 19th century, uh, as these are the only way for them to truly be suppressed is like total total control and destruction of the state by the state. And by that end, any fascist empire will either buckle under its own weight or it will reform or it will just completely lay to waste just its entire internal structure and just fall apart. And basically what Nazi Germany has happened in Nazi Germany, it's either you see what happens in um, fascist Spain where it just reformed and eventually democracy flourished, or you see Nazi Germany and everything collapses. But it cannot sustain. I'm going to turn it back to Jesse. Thank you, Scott. That was a very complete overview of fascism and all of its lack of glory. So I did a pretty deep dive into um, a document that was authored by a woman named Clara Zetkin, who uh, was a prominent member of the... Third Communist International. Um, just a little bit of background on Clara. She lived from 1858 to 1933. Um, she lived in Germany for her whole life until 1924, and she spent the rest of her years in Russia until her death in uh, 33. She joined the socialist movement at age 21 in 1878, which was the same year that anti-socialist laws were enacted. Uh, making it illegal for Germans to promote or to participate in socialism. In 1885, she became a national executive member of the German SPD, which is the, um, uh, shit, what's it called? Social Democratic Party. Right. Um, oh, we got she, you led, she led its, its left wing. Um, she began editing Die Gleichheit, which was a SPD newspaper directed toward women in the year 1891. She fought for universal suffrage alongside Kalantai. She was an ally and collaborator to Rosa Luxemburg against the uh, revisionism and also the centrism, which was represented by Kautsky. Um, she co-founded the German Communist Party in 1918, along with her comrades in the Spartacus League, where she was actively organizing kind of under the radar uh, because the um, German government had started cracking down on <clears throat> on organizing. And it was the very next year that uh, several of her German comrades were murdered, including Rosa Luxemburg, and uh, Zetkin took up a central role in the Communist Party. 1920, she became a delegate to the Reichstag. Reich, the Reichstag? How do you pronounce that, that one? The Reichstag. Reichstag. Uh, 1921, 
She became secretary of the International Women's Secretariat and a member of the Comintern. Um, she sounds like a badass the, bitch. I just want to say that. She is, yeah. Uh, which stands for the Executive Committee of the Communist International. It's Comintern. And in 1923, she authored their resolution on fascism. And that was the document that I wanted to dive into. Um, and I guess just for uh, an overview of Zetkin's characterization of fascism um, and a little bit of history, it was in 1919 that Benito Mussolini took up the, the fascies, which is like a bundle of rods with an ax head as the symbol for the Italian fascist party. And it used to be a Roman symbol of authority. Um, the resolution described fascism as a characteristic symptom of decay, an expression of the ongoing dissolution of the capitalist economy and the decomposition of the bourgeois state. It also stated that fascism manifests as a brutal terrorist violence together with deceptive revolutionary phraseology linking up demagogically with the needs and moods of broad masses of producers. Zetkin also made the following characterizations of fascism, that it was tied to crises of capitalism and the decline of capitalist institutions, that it was based on the proletariat's failure to resolve capitalism's social crises through taking power or through social reform, because remember this was uh, just after World War I, um, that it appeals to the petty bourgeoisie who are threatened by the collapse of capitalism Yet, it also makes use of anti-capitalist demagogy to attract the uh, proletarianized former capitalists, although the uh, ruling class understands that these empty appeals to the masses are just demonstrative and that it won't actually displace their position in the top tier of society. Fascism prioritizes the nation-state over class conflict, which I would say um, redirects a sort of vertical struggle, uh, class-based struggle into a more lateral struggle. And it also shields the internal oppressor from the masses by directing their anger or whatever revolutionary energy they would otherwise have outward. It makes use of national chauvinism to mask what is actually militarism and imperialism. Uh, for instance, like if you say you're serving the country, you can use that as a moral justification to commit pretty heinous acts. And that also serves to create cohesion around national identity. War on that terror. Would, yeah, precisely. <laughs> Pre I was going to say Abu Ghraib. <laughs> also uh, makes use of scapegoating, which would manifest much more in Germany, obviously, but um, this earlier fascism in Italy at the time it was still more uh, scapegoating of certain castes in Italy, such as the, the socialists or the union workers who were rising up to, to take back the factories, etc. Um, this serves to dehumanize the enemy, shift blame from the ruling class onto the would-be allies, divide and conquer is what I put in the notes. And it's a justification for what I would call social Darwinism. Yeah, it's um, a... It's a social structure in which class struggle is utterly impossible. Uh, right. and solidarity Precisely. is utterly impossible. It's, it's, it's a rigid corporatist structure that cannot be broken and cannot be changed in any way. You know, the way Mussolini described it, uh, it's like when the power of the state and corporations become one, at least on the domestic front, it is the merging of both state and corporate power in which large corporations like private industry in general 
uh, like basically take over the government. Right. And that is the next point I was going to get to, which is fascism gathers support from capitalists as it becomes a viable vessel for defeating a proletarian uprising, um, which means that the political and economic powers unite to cement their aristocracy. Um, and money can buy influence over the state machinations and uh, protect the ruling class from the consequences thereof, meaning the consequences of reinstituting a capitalist hierarchy, and that political, social, and military status is reciprocated with wealth and capital. And this always resolves to a bureaucracy, which, again, creates more class contradiction and class struggle. So in that sense, it's uh, fascism is an incomplete ideology uh, by design. And the way that I kind of think about it is like the, the way that uh, the, the scapegoating and racism and ethno-nationalism came into the picture a little bit later on was sort of that served as the fuel to keep the mechanisms of fascism going where it would have otherwise collapsed in on a, under its own weight. And in particular, the fascist party in Italy was rooted in exploiting like the impact of imperialist war collapse of capitalism across social strata and disillusionment with attempted socialistic reforms. Yeah, I mean, I can get more into the history or whatever. Uh, Joe, were you about to say something? Yes, actually, my favorite example of uh, money being able to buy the machinations of uh, power is actually uh, a reference to American history, which is the, the creation of the Missouri boot heel in Missouri when Missouri was going through the process of becoming a state in 1818, the land was actually owned by one person named John Hardiman Walker. And he wanted his land, the land that he lived in, to be part of Missouri. So he basically just bought his way into having Congress add the Missouri boot heel to Missouri instead of keeping it as part of the Arkansas Territory. And when Congress is drawing it up, one congressperson is like, why the fuck do we have this notch on Missouri? And they're all like, basically, money. The man literally bought his way into reshaping the, the political map of the United States with, just because he bribed his way through it. I, honest, I mean, I have a feeling that Joe's will be able to help me fill in some of the particular details on this. But I was next going to get into the... Um, the conditions in Italy that led to the birth and rise of the Italian fascist party and uh, what the Comintern recognized and felt they needed to respond to. Clara recognized that reformists in the Socialist Party uh, had betrayed the revolutionary masses under a guise of democracy. And as I've said in previous episodes, um, you know, a good Marxist would always ask democracy for what class? Uh, by September 1920, the Socialist Party was in position to take power. The proles were rising up. They were going on strikes. They seized some factories. They had established Red Guards to guard the factories that they had seized. Um, even farmers and peasants started taking land. Soldiers refused orders to, to attack those revolutionaries, and the capitalist class had at that point run out of bargaining chips. The party leaders also betrayed the working class, who identified as socialists, they dismissed this uprising as just a minor union struggle, uh, went behind their backs, forged alliances with the ruling class to benefit their own interests, and 
without even being pushed, they agreed to the terms of the capitalists, which led to the workers basically giving up. They abandoned their posts and they left the movement at large because they'd grown so demoralized and disillusioned with the Socialist Party. And this obviously led to some pretty serious political fractures um, with the proletariat feeling powerless to push back, too weakly organized of their own accord and having lost faith in the party to facilitate an actual overthrow of capitalism. The small bourgeoisie or the little bourgeoisie gave up on trying to recruit the working class into their own vision, their own reformist vision for the Socialist Party. Oh, that uh, sounds familiar. <laughs> like the former PMC officers. rejecting the working class during the Bernie Sanders campaign. You know, too I soon. Yeah. Too soon? Question yeah. mark? Too soon? Uh, yeah. Not soon I mean, enough, motherfucker! <laughs> if, if you haven't begun to see the parallels between this and maybe not the current moment, but at least the uh, 2016 and more, more recent 2020 cycle, like, I don't know what to tell you. Um, also, uh, former Italian officers kind of lost faith in the state as well because they were just sort of left behind and fell through the cracks after the war, which in other European countries... The Lincoln what, Project? <laughs> this <laughs> this, uh, this um, sort of abandonment of former military members was what led to anti-Republican sentiment uh, Hungary, for example. So there was now increased pressure on the Italian state to adopt a new ideology, which at this point was the, uh, as I said earlier, like a half-baked, incomplete um, ideology of fascism. There was a strong, it was a strong mix of like, like the, the ideological or like philosophical like uh, underpinnings. It's kind of like uh, Italian futurism, mixed with like like idealism but without obviously like the material dialectics kind of like that would be like the earliest ferment of what like fashion fascism became like that's what we're seeing emerge in this period right now right it, yeah. it hadn't developed into this like juggernaut there wasn't a military behind it at this point so there was pressure on the state to adopt this new ideology and enforce it by any means whether that be reconstituting what quote-unquote democracy meant through instating uh, a dictatorship or uh, just with brute force. The fascist party started to recruit, taking advantage of disillusioned and um, poorly educated peasants, farmers, and lumpen proletariat, which is like basically the, the peasant of the city, the urban peasant, <laughs> if you will. Um, uh, the fascist party increasingly was funded by capitalists and they started to gain more support and protection from Italian police. Fascist party leaders opportunistically vacillated between demands of the working and ruling classes until the capitalist mode of production had been firmly reestablished. Seeing any parallels now? Because <laughs> this honestly sounds like you could be talking about the last three months. Yeah, it's... Pretty, what? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. It's what? pretty <laughs> disturbing. But I, that's why I thought it was so important to cover. From there, the, the uh, antagonisms intensified. In 1921 and 22, thousands of workers and peasants were slaughtered. Union headquarters and labor halls were destroyed. By October 1922, the fascist party, which was at this point firmly headed by Prime Minister Mussolini, took complete control of the Italian government. Actually, and he at, wasn't PM yet. He actually staged a march on Rome in which he demanded power 
And the ruling prime minister at the time, who was like the head of the Liberal Party, I think, wanted to oppose it. It was overruled by the king of Italy. And the king of Italy, the following day after the march, asked Mussolini to form a government as his prime minister. Thank you for the clarification. That's why you're here. Italy so had a as... fucking king? Jesus. <laughs> they didn't years ago, after bro. the Second World War. It's so um, fucking late in like human history, though. <laughs> yeah, still yeah but monarchy. dude, Britain, Britain still has a fucking queen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, Fuck you have to also look at it in the context of that, like the Italian nation state is actually a relatively new thing in the context of history because... Until like the late 1880s, the Italian nation state didn't exist. It was still just a a hodgepodge of uh, city states and like little kind of like proto city kingdom kind of things all all dotted around the area that we now know as Italy. They didn't actually unite into a singular nation state until around the 1880s. So when all of this is happening in the early 1920s, the notion of the Italian nation state itself is still very much a rather new and fragile concept. Yeah, this is, this is what happened after the fall of empire. Not only that, but you have the growing nationalism, the economic collapse of, because the Italian Alps were basically in ruins because the northern part of what is now Italy was basically like part of the Western Front for the entirety of the war between the Italians, the Austrians, the Germans, and the French. And then you also have the economy still kind of collapsing because we just endured a war and we're still a rather new, fragile nation state. We barely have a, an economy. And then we go through a massive, glo- like massive economic trauma that is a major global conflict. And then you have the fallout of the proletariat trying to cope with the aftermath of that and the anger. And the only people having that seem to have really any kind of answers how to help the proletariat, well, not really an answer, but it was like a lie, was the fascists. They get violent. They start marching on Rome and demand power, and they're just kind of handed it. The previous pie in the sky was tasted, and it tasted like garbage, and the fascists produced a new pie in the sky, and the workers hadn't really tasted it yet. Yeah, the workers never really get a taste of it. They're just told that it's there if they just keep fighting. So This is, this... This is jumping way ahead in the timeline, but they very, very nearly get the taste of the pie in 1948, when the Communist Party, 48. because the only, as, as everywhere else at the war, the only people who are actually fighting the Nazis were socialists and communists. So the only people left in Italy by the end of the war that have any real kind of respect and prestige left are the communists, because they're like, we were the ones fighting the Nazis. What the fuck were you people doing? The United States spent a fuck ton of money ensuring that the Communist Party did not win the next scheduled election. Yeah, we just resumed the Cold War after World War II. Notice how I said resumed. I would really say at this point it's kind of a multiple Cold Wars because we've got this Cold War going on with China and we've got this weird obsession with Russia, even though Russia is not really like the economic or uh, geopolitical power that it once was because it's now a hyper-capitalist state. It's kind of been hollowed out by Larry Summers and the like. Russia is still ar- arguably even more capitalistic than the United States, oh, which absolutely. is pretty, it's pretty hard to do. Since I mentioned him, I am a little bit annoyed that the vote yes on to the ranked choice voting campaign, I swear to God, they're driving me insane. Because they in the past week, they have posted endorsements from not just Deval Patrick, but Larry Summers driving me up the wall. Larry Summers, really? You need him to... Larry Summers was the guy in the social network. <laughs> he was. 
All right, so back to uh, fascism. Fuck the Winklevi <laughs> twins and back. fuck Larry Summers. Fuck Facebook. Fuck Mark Zuckerberg. Okay, Jesse, go. Back to the other fascism. So according to Zetkin, uh, basically Italian fascism had triumphed between World War One and World War Two due to passive reformist party attitudes and the co-optation of proletarian language. Basically, like, communism was so fucking cool that, like, the fascists kind of had to steal a little bit of it to, to rally the workers and convince them that what they were getting into would actually help them instead of the ruling class. This led to, like, new contradictions. There was uh, still an established bureaucracy and then there was this incoming uh, fascist insurgency. So the, uh, the aristocracy was being displaced by like a cultish, violent populism. Does that sound familiar? Wait, are we still talking about the 2020 campaign cycle? <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. So what I put in the notes was that basically this mirrors exactly the modern juxtaposition of the liberal institutionalist neocons and today's alt-right. Also, uh... I'm sorry, I, I, I thought we were still talking about Middle East foreign policy. No, see, it's the tricky part. This happened 100 years ago, so... Oh, right, is that. We got can you. Pretty, can be pretty hard to tell them apart. And this transition of power would ultimately serve the industrial capitalists. Zetkin and the rest of the Comintern believe that the responsibility fell on the proletariat uh, to organize and to dissolve fascism rather than just waiting for its eventual collapse. It was important that they accelerated that collapse and that they needed to surmount fascism on ideological and political fronts um, in order to successfully beat them militarily, in order to support conquest by an armed revolutionary vanguard. So I think I'm just going to read out exactly as written the list of measures that the Comintern proposed to, quote unquote, disarm and overcome fascism politically and organize the workers into strong and successful self-defense against its violent actions. And to be clear, we think organizations should adopt this policy. Yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> and for anything that's specific to Italy, just substitute whatever else applies, you know, fucking Israel, United States. Yes, that's right. I said Israel. Netanyahu's a fascist. So, it's actually uh, funny. Uh, he, I saw an article today about Netanyahu, which is like perfect uh, parallel to Trump, where he's claiming that the media is ginning up violence against, against him, which is, I'm sorry, wait, this has been like the narrative the last three years from the Trump White House. Oh, it's the media. Maybe, maybe he's trying to get his... Uh, this corruption trial pushed back a little bit further by blaming the media. Oh, also, a couple of years ago, Netanyahu claimed that it wasn't actually Hitler's intention to exterminate the Jews. So, yikes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And also, uh, Candace Owens, her, um, her biggest issue with Hitler was that oh, Hitler was it. actually imperialist. And that was the bad part. Oh, I remember that committee hearing. Yeah, I might, so I might just put funny. a moratorium on quoting Candace Owens on this show ever again right now, so, but it's fine. All right, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> All right, so um, number one, collect facts on the fascist movement in every country. Two, methodical education of the working class regarding the hostile class character of the fascist movement through newspaper articles, pamphlets, posters, assemblies, and so on. And I guess today we could add social media, podcasts, websites, magazines, flyers at events, 
or even the uh, Comrade Rosie sticker campaign we've been on. Three, the methodical education of the masses who have just become proletarians or are threatened by inevitable proletarianized, proletarianized, fuck, proletarianization regarding their condition. <laughs> That's a fucking hard one. You I'm gonna say do that, that three times fast, Scott. Methodical education of the masses who have just become proletarians or are threatened by the inevitable proletarianization regarding their condition and the function of fascism in assisting large-scale capitalism. So uh, I guess I would say, you know, talk to your colleagues about your working conditions, talk to your fellow tenants about housing, and maybe forming a, a tenant union. And I want to say that the second point actually both of the points of just like methodical education and constantly like like keeping yourself devoted to the project and devoted to like your education and awareness of the project like that is a version of militant militancy that i think the left should adopt i think yeah. a sub point of that that needs to really be emphasized and drove home is the education of rejecting anti-proletarian propaganda you need to educate and train you know our comrades on how to recognize and instantly reject propaganda being propagated by the ruling class. Like New York Times articles, the nightly news and shit like that for our older comrades or comrades who are forced to live with older people. MSNBC. And you can do this in a positive way. Like you can tell people who have, they work like in the public sector as uh, they do like, they clean up trash. Like those are the most fucking important jobs in the economy. And those people are told otherwise constantly by people who sit at a computer and do fucking nothing. Sanitation yeah. workers are Reality the reason why we don't have the plague anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Reality exactly. is this point, really like emphasizing this point that they're like, oh, wait a minute, who's the most important people now? The garbage men, the, the sanitation workers, the, the service workers, the health Yeah, like that, that's the fabric of society is the quote unquote uneducated the quote-unquote unskilled laborers. There's no like, such thing know, as unskilled laborers. That's, that's a classist miss. Stop propagating prop for the ruling class. <laughs> All right, point four. Organization of defensive struggles by the working class by forming and arming contingents of self-defense. Given that the fascists concentrate on propaganda among youth and that worker youth must be drawn into the United Front, youth who are more than 17 years old must be recruited into the common factory-based fighting contingents. Workers' control commissions must be organized to prevent transport of fascist bands and their weapons. Fascist attempts to terrorize the workers and block expressions of their class activity must be mercilessly struck down. I would say, to that end, uh, protect friends, family, and vulnerable people from recruitment by hate groups and harassment by hate groups. Uh, we look out for each other. When you go to a protest, show up with the right gear. Educate yourself. Uh, Make sure you have, you know, eye protection, hand protection. So if somebody throws a fucking, you know, smoke bomb at you, you can just throw it back. Um, Tennis rackets for that. Right. Yes. As we've seen. You know what? Do both. Do both. Why not? And as we've seen, they are also using bring laser those pointers. Things, so Yes. Bring all of the things you can bring because as we've seen, it, it was mentioned in the audio clip at the beginning of the show, uh, Portland, the cops are, they, they feel no shame to use those tactics against protesters. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> If they escalate and we don't, then... They're going to kill you. Right. And If someone's that, trying to kill you, the least you could do is defend yourself. Right. It's, it's the if fucking... Eth that's the ethos of fucking Antifa right there. God damn it. If you feel comfortable arming yourself, 
Just learn to use your weapon safely and effectively. And this is not saying go kill people. This is just, you know, if you want to join the SRA, it would be a good thing to do. Point five, workers of all viewpoints must be drawn into this struggle. All workers' parties, trade unions, and proletarian mass organizations must be called on to join the common defense against fascism. So I would say don't compromise your beliefs, but form alliances with other workers and uh, other people who are you know, feeling the same kind of economic strain that you are, you know, just be smart. Six, a struggle against fascism is needed in parliament and in all public institutions. Strong emphasis must be laid on the imperialist and arch chauvinist nature of fascism, which heightens the danger of new international wars. Sometimes I get very uh, despondent about electoralism, but remember this was written by the Communist International in Germany. So they have a different political system than we do. Like, Mm. we have a disgusting duopoly, but we still do have the right to be represented by our legislators and congresspeople. So I would say assert that right. Um, Run socialist candidates wherever you fucking can. Yeah, it is important to remember that Marx and Engels both believe that if we could make advancements through electoralism, then we should try it. But they do. They also had the understanding that, like, there is no way we will possibly vote the revolution into being. So, right. but, like, if we can get gains through electoralism, take them, but we're not going to get a full revolution through it. Right. Precisely. Thank you, Scott. Welcome. <laughs> so those were the first six measures. There's an additional six that basically the, the comments are in called for an international workers committee whose struggle entailed these following six measures. One campaign of international education through newspapers, pamphlets, posters, and mass meetings regarding the Italian fascist leadership's total hostility to workers and its methodical destruction of all workers' organizations and institutions. And so in a modern context, I would say, uh, regardless of where you are, continue to expose state violence, put it on the internet, talk about it, uh, shout it in the fucking streets, amplify voices of people who are normally neglected, mistreated, marginalized. Two, Organization of international mass meetings and demonstrations against fascism and against Italian fascism representatives abroad. Um, I know that as of late, there have been some demonstrations for uh, Palestinian solidarity in opposition to the fascist tactics of the Israeli military and government and uh, against collaboration of the United States through APAC. Speak with, speak with your comrades from all over the world, because now we can do that. We can instantaneously talk to people from fucking anywhere, pretty much. And uh, critical support for all of the anti-capitalist projects worldwide, even the ones that they don't fit into your fucking perfect, your utopian vision of what socialism is supposed to be. Uh, three, struggle in parliament. Demand that parliament, the workers' factions within it, and international workers' organizations send commissions to Italy to investigate the condition of the working class there. Four, struggle for immediate liberation of arrested or imprisoned communist, socialist, or non-party workers. See, this was the one that really got me thinking about this shit. Scott and I both went to a PSL rally, and one of the speakers was talking about political prisoners, and uh, it hadn't really occurred to me until then that like most of the socialist organizations aren't really putting that message out there, especially not to DSA, cough, cough. I think that's a message that we need to be pushing locally in our organizations, because if we don't fight for the comrades that fought for us, 
why the fuck would we expect anybody else to fight on our behalf? And we could be fucking political prisoners pretty soon here. <laughs> it's another reason I want to go over this. Um, five, organization of an international boycott by all workers against Italy. Refuse to ship coal to Italy. All transport workers must refuse to load and ship goods to and from Italy and so on. To this end, create an international committee of miners, seamen, railway workers, and transport workers in every field. I would say, like, one, uh, you can substitute Italy for any fascist dictatorship. Uh, again, BDS campaign, Israel. Um, but also, like, there are international, like the IWW. We are not national socialists. We are international socialists. Six, material and moral support of the persecuted working class of Italy through collections of funds, accommodation of refugees, support for their work abroad, and so on. Expand international red aid in order to carry out this work. Involve workers' cooperatives in this assistance work. I'm going to be completely transparent. I didn't even look into what international red aid is. I assume it's just kind of like mutual aid amongst socialist nations. Um, but on a local level, you can just call that mutual aid. So yeah, help people in your community, help people who aren't in your community, um, and definitely continue to ask people what needs they have that aren't being met by politicians. Um, sometimes like you do need to kind of get on the ground and just get food to people when they don't have it. Because if we don't step in, that's when, you know, especially in regard to Italy, like that's when the mob steps in. If the person helping you holds left-wing ideology, maybe you'll be more receptive to that ideology. The same would obviously go for right-wing ideology. So if it's a fucking Nazi that's helping you out when you're on your ass, then like, that's kind of how they recruit. Like, that's how it works. And the last point that Zetkin makes is that the fate of those oppressed under fascism is tied directly to your fate. An injury to one is an injury to all. And we can't wait until this is a direct threat to us to act in defense of the proletariat. It'd be really emphasized because like, uh, the capitalists have definitely uh, internalized this sentiment. Like the Article 5 of NATO, which is always talked about, uh, like the article in which the justification for like, oh, the attack on one is the attack on all. Like after 9-11, Article 5 was used to justify dragging all of NATO with us to Afghanistan and Iraq as we plundered those countries for whatever reason, like the capitalists understand this and they are organized accordingly. If we are not organized in such fashion, we will be crushed. Yeah, I mean, the, the capitalist class have this class solidarity shit on lock. They do, and it's really annoying because like proletariat can never seem to get its act together at rise at the moment. But like the 1%, yeah. they're like that. Like They got true class solidarity. Absolutely. Ugh. Politics to them like is like a hobby. It's like, oh, we're uh, on the same level. We're all a hun- keeping it 100 when it comes to economics. So politics to them is really just about the social issues. Because they're all in agreement on matters of economics. I think it is becoming more clear that we're in a moment of contradictions just like becoming as clear as they've ever fucking been. Yeah, like we're in a moment where like things literally cannot become more obvious than they are now. If you still aren't getting it, there's honestly it becomes a question of whether or not you will ever get it. And like the rule, like the ruling class, like the the one percent, whatever you want to say, like being in total agreement about these things and having that pure class solidarity on like economic issues, like how that materializes in our government is people like Nancy Pelosi rejecting the Green New Deal. It has real world ramifications 
that happen on both sides of the aisle, not just, it's not just the Republicans, but that, like, that is how it manifests. That is how that attitude comes to be. To fucking do the Green New Deal would, like, to, would be to compromise the economic agreement that the ruling class has. So they're not going to fucking do that. Or, <laughs> or, or wealth the redistribution. The Democratic Party has controlled the House of Representatives for nearly two full years mm-hmm. now. And in that time, there has been one, one committee hearing on Medicare for All in which the members of Congress on the committee were not actually allowed to say the phrase Medicare for All. Forget passing Medicare for All through the House. Forget even having a vote on it, despite the fact the House is a majoritarian institution in which all you need to get things done is have a simple majority. A simple majority is all you require to control the, the chamber. So in theory, if you control the majority, you set the agenda, you decide what gets on the floor, you decide what passes. And so the fact that Medicare for All has not seen the light of day is a choice. It is a policy choice. The fact that it's only gotten a single committee hearing in which they weren't even allowed to use the phrase Medicare for all is a choice. It's fucking strange. Fun fact, it was actually Richard Neal who was heading that hearing. Representative Neal of the Massachusetts First Congressional District, which covers most of Western Mass, at his insistence, because of all the money he takes from Blue Cross Blue Shield, among others in that industry, he he forbade the usage of the phrase Medicare for all. This was like a three-hour hearing. What do people have to say? Like, I we, we would like these puppies, but we can't have them. Hypothetical like, puppies. All these, these fucking in dogs theory. are going to start chewing into our profit margins. Come on. Hypothetically. It's going to make workers have less anxiety in their life, and that means that they're going to make decisions that aren't made in a fraught uh, mental state, which means they're not, probably not going to consider the shitty job with the shitty health care that's provided. Fuck. They aren't Fuck. locked into that. What? Well, we can't, we can't let them do that. If we aren't locked into the permanent fight or flight, uh, attitude. Mental but state like, that everything is the most intense fucking thing imaginable. I know. You get people like Joe Kennedy who's like, oh, I'm for the Green New Deal, but I also have like $2 million in fossil fuel stocks. Like, I also wanted to fucking hey, take the state I, I said, back I said on the me. magical words. I said the magical words, so will you vote for me now? Also, speaking of not being allowed to say shit, I posted this earlier in the chat, but I think I found this most stupid fucking title for an article uh, to date. And it's not even Breitbart, and it's not Fox. It's it's MSN. Is Antifa the greatest movement against free speech in America? What the fuck? (laughs) No. The answer is no. Quite the opposite. It doesn't need to be rhetorical. You know the... Nazis actually did burn books. That seems like a, like a threat towards seems free, like it's harming free, free speech. <laughs> I love that Dave Rubin is like unironically named his book, Don't Burn This Book. Fuck you. Like not understanding like the, the, like the history behind book burning. I challenge you to fucking tell me anything Dave Rubin understands the history of. Yeah, that's also true. But I, I just think it's hilarious. I mean, he's too stupid to understand it. But like it's hilarious for the rest of us who have brain cells, who have agency. I, I would argue that Dave Rubin isn't capable of having his own agency. No, he is. Just, uh, it's the agency to say the most ridiculous shit imaginable. Like Jesus was hanging out with, uh, Wait, with Muslims. Wait, you're, you're that saying that Martin I'm only King would be a saying these Republican things? Today. I was referring to this, like, uh, like conversation like that was on YouTube that, like, yeah, I've seen that. and Dennis Prager. They both have giant and Dennis cigars. Prager was like, no, you no, you should call yourself a liberal. It's good for our brand. And he just kind of takes it. He's like, so so what? My high-level ideas are only good because I claim to be a liberal? That, that's what you're telling me, Dennis? I can sound drop that in post. I want you to continue to say you're, you're a liberal <laughs> because you're, yeah. you're of great use 
uh, to to good values. Well, don't worry, I'm not doing it for my, for your use of me. I'm doing, that. I'm doing it for myself. No, I no, no, no. Yeah. It's like Christians who say to me, you know, oh, we would love you to come to Christ, but you are so valuable to us as a Jew when you defend us Christians. Oh, yeah, I love ideas. Go back, everybody. When Anna Kasparian was on Michael Brooks's show and they talked about Dave Rubin, go back and listen to that. Oh, I remember that. Find that so out the truth about who Dave Rubin really is. It's very yeah. important. That was so funny. That was a year ago, and it's so funny. It's almost as funny as like when uh, he had the interview with Marion Williamson, and she like just completely floored his ass. But slavery is bad, Dave. <laughs> slavery is bad, Tom Cotton. Actually, uh, interesting. Yeah, Tom Cotton, who is literally the closest thing to a person being named Jim Crow as reality will allow. The senior senator from Arkansas, Tom Cotton, said this past week to the local paper of record that slavery was, quote, a necessary evil. Oh, slavery was bad. I never thought about it that way before. It's a high-level idea. Very high-level idea. Dude. Oh no! All these great ideas. Oh no! Scott's connection. Oh Scott. no! My hair. Don't oh, go no. into the lights. Oh my god! <laughs> I would have been so upset if we fucking lost all. What that. happened? What happened? Uh, you just froze. Oh no! It happened before a second, like a couple, like ten minutes ago. And I guess you guys didn't notice, but it, I noticed it. So. Oh. Great. Was there anything else we wanted to talk about? Actually, there was a bit in the notes that I would like to kind of the, the history person that I am. I must kind of correct. Uh, there was mention of how Italian fascism wasn't like explicitly ethno-nationalist at first, which is coming uh, for your notes. The Abyssinian War in 1935 was very explicitly like eugenicist. Well, that was and, in the notes. I didn't cover any of that because I, I figured, I mean, it was fucking after parallel, the revolution. I, but I think there's parallels up. between the Italian attempted conquest of Africa and the American attempted conquest of the Middle East. They're, they're right. definitely direct parallels. Oh, and yeah, also, for sure. I, I find it, it also like the proxy wars as well, because the proxy war of Nazi Germany, actually the, the whole Spanish Civil War was a massive proxy war. And what you have on the right, you have this, the Nazis and the Italians backing both materially and with troops, like troops in the Air, for, in the Air Forces fascist under Franco. And then you have, on the left, you have the Spanish Socialist Workers Party, PISO, the democratically elected government trying to defend itself, the Republicans, along with the the international brigades, which were like volunteers of individual leftists from overseas, from other countries like Ireland, the United States, Canada, whatever, volunteering and coming to Spain to fight in the war amongst their leftist comrades and the Soviet Union providing material support, duking it out for like the span of a couple of years over the fate of Spain. Unfortunately, that didn't go well for the left. But the Abyssinian War was very explicitly racist. And also, it was a very, very brutal war in which war crimes were committed by both sides. You had the Italian Air Force dropping chemical weapons and firing on the Red Cross and other humanitarian workers. Then you had the East Hold on a second. You say there was a fascist nation dropping bombs on medical aid overseas. Does that yeah. uh, ring any bells? For- oh, yeah, absolutely. And then on the Abyssinian side, it was incredibly brutal as well. You had them massacring uh, civilian workers, massacring captured Italians, usually involving some stuff that would probably uh, warrant a content warning if we go into the details. And sure, it was rather brief, but it was brutal from like October of 35 to February of 37. It was another example of liberal pussying out because the British controlled the Suez Canal at the time and could have prevented this from happening. 
but they didn't want to piss off the Italians, so they let them through the, the canal so they could invade what was well, then Abyssinia, now Ethiopia. France didn't want to get involved either, so they're just like, okay, let's let these Africans to their fate as Mussolini sucks up basically all of Eastern Africa. And also, for, for the record, listeners, the illusion that we were referring to of fascist countries bombing medical facilities, I'm pretty sure we were both referring to the U.S. attack on the Doctors Without Border facilities in Afghanistan uh, ding. four years ago. Ding, ding, ding. The most insane thing is the Air Force initially claimed that the Doctors Without Border facility was a bunker full of quote-unquote enemy combatants. They bombed and murdered hundreds of uh, civilians and workers for about an hour and a half before calling it a day. Was this under Obama? Yes. Oh. This was mm-hmm. about a month before the election, give or take. Oh. Late 2016. Just right when you can get away with it. It's also right around the time I discovered The Intercept. Yeah, there were no drone strikes in the 30s because drones weren't really a thing yet, obviously. You had to get in somebody's face to kill them. Yeah, you actually, you actually had to get people to get into a plane and go fly several hours somewhere to go rain death from the sky. Guys. Could you do it from like a, a trailer in somewhere in Nevada behind a joystick? From the Boston Commune. Okay, so unsurprisingly, Mussolini, aliens are. <laughs> Mussolini's statements on liberalism were like not consistent at all. So What I, would you expect from a fascist, though? <laughs> I know. Consistency I know. isn't their thing. I know. He was very, very explicitly opposed to Marxism, obviously. But well, kind then of, fuck that guy. Yeah, that guy's a douche. That guy's mean. Yeah, man. That guy's a real jerk. Guy nope. was a jerk. But he's no he jerk compared jerk, to the ultimate man. jerk. <laughs> he's no jerk compared to the ultimate jerk. Who was Hitler? <laughs> oh, shit. That guy was a real jerk, bro. Yeah. I said I wanted to get it on the episode. Hitler was a real jerk. Well, I, I did it for you, and then you did it yourself. You set it up, baby. Well, so I guess, yeah, international red aid. It was the, it was essentially the uh, communist international's version of the Red Cross. Yeah, a far less bougie Red, red Cross. That doesn't just put on expensive concerts and not spend the money. So, <laughs> do we... Do we feel good about this episode? I feel fucking good, actually, about this episode. I feel good and great. Are we going to talk about the clip that we all listened to, like, when we first started trying to get the ball rolling? Sure. I mean, you can, you, you are Go off, Joe. Joe off. probably throw that into the camera. Just probably throw the clip into the, uh, into the final edit as well. Oh, no, I will. I'm, I'm probably going to use that as. But that's, like, so many degrees of fucked up. It's like. We are, like, staring over the abyss. The tsunami is coming. The fascists are coming, and they're quite clear about it now. We're at the point where they're literally calling for, like, rounding us up. This this feels very eerie to, like, what happened to the Wobblies in the early 20s, late 19-teens, when the government regarded them as, anar- like, anarchist terrorists that much- must be killed, and they were all, like, massacred on the West Coast. Oh, yeah. This is, like, another iteration of the Red Scare. I don't know how bad it's going to get, to be honest, but, like, I'm not going to take any fucking chances. If you are a leftist, now is a good t- time to update your passport. Being called the Red Scare 3.0 online, I don't because know Because when shit pops off, it's going to pop off fast. And if you have no means of getting the fuck out, you might well be screwed. I will, by that definition, be 
completely fucking screwed them. Hell yeah, I did not have a passport. I don't know where mine is. Where are you going to go, Joe? Canada? Yeah, I have family in Canada. All right. All right, so there you have it. Joe's going to go Trudeau is any better? Hey, at least I'll have universal health insurance. Yeah, but like, you'll still have Trudeau. Reminder to our listeners that Trudeau protested himself. <laughs> in a fucking environmentalist march. That That is like the most liberal thing possible. Yep. Can't get more liberal than that. I'm going to mean- meaninglessly protest myself. Yeah, I mean, exactly like the cops did here. Move over, Mitt Romney. We've found an even better pretender. You're the pretender. So the is a Foo Fighters song. I know it's a Foo Fighters song. Look what I've done. Look what <laughs> I have done. Eat shit, Scott. Sorry. Ugh. Take us out. Take us out. Are we all fucked? Yes. You're the pretender. Okay, I'll take us out. Um, <laughs> I know what the song is. Um, and in another episode, we defy the, the hope to actually end on a positive note. Yeah. Well, no, no. take us out. No. Positive note, be anti-fascist. Yeah, like we see the, the positive part about this is that fascism in Italy did fucking fall. It did collapse. The USSR won the war. And the space war. I mean, but the space race. That's a global race. conflict for, for which, if another global the conflict, space yeah, war. But we're all gonna die. We don't. We don't need to talk about all that part. All you need to know Fucking is that metal. Mussolini ended his life upside Actually, down. He didn't end his. Well, I was about to. Well, I his, thought you were about to say <laughs> he ended his life as like he offed himself when his in reality life. he was like it's ended for him. He was he was executed by a bunch of communists. So. Actually, fun fact, one of the uh, people who actually carried out the execution was elected to the Italian parliament the, in the following election. That is fucking inspirational. There we go. That is praxis. Boom! Positive note, finally. So my name is Scott. You can follow Despite me Despite my best efforts. You can follow me on Twitter <laughs> at uh, DeathMullets. I'm also on Instagram at the same name. Joe, you should go now. Okay, I, I'm Joe. Uh, I'm here. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. You, you can figure it out. Uh, on to Jesse. It's not going to give a name. <laughs> uh, Jesse, you can't find me on any of that shit, but uh, listen to my SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash Boston. Also, visit comrade-rosie.org. Uh, resources for people in the greater Boston area. Uh, fuck fascism. I'm outie. Fuck fascism. That's a good thing to say. Uh, we are also now, we've probably been on for a while, but as I've discovered recently, we are now on iTunes. So subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, we have a Twitter and we have an Instagram and we have a Patreon. They're all under the name Epic Incredulity. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. You can check out, just go to the Epoch of Incredulity. It's under that name. And as always, enjoy your epoch. We're out. Thank you. I'm just going to wait until you guys tell me that it's on. It'll be a while. <laughs>